Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. everyone. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Wadier, and I'm here as always. I'm a good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon to you, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Fantastic. As always, excited for today's conversation. It is podcast episode day. Excited for what we're going to go over today. Tomorrow is the day challenge number two of the 2023 Ooh. calendar season. Seven-day fasting lifestyle challenge starts tomorrow. It is not too late for you last-minute Larrys or last-minute Lorraines. It is okay. I am raising both my hands because that is me too. Head to the show notes. Click the link for FAQs, dates, times, all that information. Get registered. Don't miss out. Don't worry. You'll get the email with all the information. It'll be in your inbox momentarily after you decide to jump in with us. Don't want you to miss out on that opportunity. So Tommy, as we go into today's conversation, there's a couple of the research articles that we're going to use as a starting or a jumping off point for a conversation around the big picture of dieting and weight loss. Mm -hmm. And if you're new to the podcast, every episode, we try to go through a conversation or a situation or a listener's question or you know, something that came up in the coaching group or during a challenge, research, et cetera, and mm-hmm. give you something actionable that you can take out and apply to your fasting lifestyle. Now, I didn't say your dieting lifestyle, which is why I think today's conversation is going to be okay. fun, <laughs> but to your fasting lifestyle. If you want to hear more about our story, head back, listen to the first episode, episode one, and how fasting has been just crucial in our journey mm-hmm. and our weight loss and our health and transforming our lives. So game changer. One thing that you're going to be able to do today, maybe two, right? Maybe three, maybe you'll get a couple of nuggets, but we want to make sure there's something actionable that you can take out each and every episode. So the two articles that we're going to talk about are which dietary patterns reduce which kinds of mortality, Mm. okay? So healthy eating pattern just came out just recently, February 1st, 2023 from Journal of American Medical Association, Internal Medicine. And it says healthy eating patterns and risk of total and cause-specific mortality. So is what we're doing and what we're putting on our plate making us healthier and live longer? Or is it making us our quality of life decrease and die early? Not to be morbid, okay? (laughs) The second article, there's a little, I'm going to put a little dangling kind of little foreshadowing in there. The second article is effect of long-term caloric restriction on DNA methylation measures of biological aging in healthy adults from the calorie trial. Okay, that's a mouthful. But why we're talking about this is because dieting, caloric restriction, they go hand in hand. And there is a lot of unsuccessful attempts if we look at the statistics that 95% of mere mortals will not be able to sustain the weight loss that they have wanted 
or the quality of life or the health that comes with that. If we look at the State of the Union right now, the eight out of the top 10 reasons for all-cause mortality have some link back to insulin or blood sugar-related issues. Mm -hmm. Cardiometabolic issues, metabolic syndrome, diabetes, diabetes, obesity. Yes, you heard that right. Diabetes, type 3 diabetes, Alzheimer's, all of that stuff. So we all know that if you've got this feeling of, man, I just got to do something. I'm frustrated. I haven't been focusing on my eating. I'm tired again. Oh, the doctor. Oh, the the yearly physicals coming up. Oh, you have a family member. Here we go again. If you have that feeling, which is what you and I had in the very beginning before. Yes. Before diving into Dr. Fung's stuff and fasting and being like, whoa, this is pretty crazy and pretty powerful. And this simplifies things for us. So what we're putting on our plate and long-term caloric restriction are things that come up even almost as hindrances or concerns during this weight, this, this weight loss journey, this health journey, right? Yeah. Yeah. And any of those points along the way, if I run into a spot where I go, I'm just not sure what to do next, or I just don't know if I'm doing this right, whatever this might be. It might be what's on my plate or what kind of exercise I'm doing. Because for a lot of us, it was like become a cardio junkie, you know, to, to get a little bit more of a, a caloric deficit, right? Like uh, my app. Gotta go says, burn like, off those wings. I yeah, ate. I, I can, I can eat a little bit more or, or I'm, I'm making up for, for what I already ate a little bit faster. Right. So. If, if I run into those spots where I don't have as much confidence or I'm not really sure what the answer is, it can slow me down or it can even yep. get me off track very quickly. disarming. Yeah. But before you even know it, you can start going like, like just reverting back to old habit patterns or old comfort zones because the path ahead, if, if I don't know exactly where I'm going, it can be like, ah, that, that's a little scary, right? And subconsciously, I start to turn back, head back to the safe zone where I came from, right? Even if it wasn't serving me or the scale. Right. And this is exactly why we don't subscribe to eating a certain way, right? So yeah. more high carb, low carb. Now, when it comes to refined processed foods and chemicals and the food supply- in engineered yeah. stuff. Yeah. We're yeah. not fans of that. Like less is no. more, more natural. I don't like it. Yeah. yeah I'd rather it eat more natural foods and stuff and, you know, yeah. artificial sweetener conversation and all of that. Right. So we don't subscribe to the done for you type of health or weight loss journey where, okay, it just tell me what to eat. Like, it, it can't, can't. Right. No. Now, recently the GLP one agonist, the Ozempics, uh, right. Yeah. Are a big mm-hmm. thing. There's that's done every, for you. That's done for you, yeah, right? But yeah. now there's actually some, I just saw a research article yesterday that I have not looked at in detail, so I won't comment in terms of what it was saying. But hmm. the takeaway from the messaging that I saw was there might have been a big side effect that was missed during the trials. And I'm like, wow. uh-oh, wow. let me save that. I need to come back to that, okay? Wow. Because the reality is it's done for you. It's an external thing that is going to create weight loss. and my question always is, well, what do you do after that? Where's that sustainability yeah. piece? What is it What is it doing? Yeah, everything has risk and reward with it, no matter if we're talking about a weight loss drug or a lifestyle intervention, right? But sure. there's a concern of, okay, well, what do you do after, right? What do you do after weight loss in a box? What do you do? Yeah, you, what about after the gastric sleeve? Exactly. What about after my diet? The diet after the diet, right? Well, goodness gracious. So the done for you doesn't work. The DIY version 
of going and figuring this all out on your own eh, can be a little overwhelming, especially when the expectations and the results don't match the actions, right? I'm doing everything right yeah. and the scale's just not moving. Maybe you got some weight loss resistance. You've got some old habits, right? Some things that you've been bringing with you through the repeated cycles of dieting. Yeah. What about that growing list of foods that are that are off the bad limits, foods? Ooh. Right. Yeah. The bad foods going from one diet to another. Like especially uh, like growing up 80s, 90s, 70s, 80s, 90s, all through the low fat, right? And then and then so every diet, you know, from back of the day, from when I first started dieting, they they were all low fat. So then to to see the pendulum swing, you know, a few decades later over to, well, keto or carnivore or extremely low carb is, is, you know, essentially the only way, you know, is, is, is some of the, the dogma and some of what's talked about out there is really crazy because I still have a subconscious list of all these high fat foods that I'm not supposed right. to be eating. Right. What's, what's it going right. to do to my cholesterol and all this stuff and all those little pieces of doubt. I mean, yeah, follow cholesterol. Me, right? <laughs> they followed me with each one of my eating decisions and now my, my fasting decisions too. I can be like, oh man, but I thought, oh wait, wait a minute. Yeah. But I was told that that was wrong, right? I think I'm I think I'm doing the right thing right now and you can just bounce back and forth with that doubt and that self-talk. It's crazy. We now know that the cholesterol you eat in your food is not biochemically available and does not create cholesterol in your body. Yeah. It's like it's physically impossible. That's not how it works, right? But that's been the the great cholesterol myth. Great book if you want to go read it and learn more about cholesterol than you ever need to in your entire life. It's an easy read, yeah. but it's incredibly eye-opening. So, this study gained our kind of, it caught our eye because the indices or the actual, the, how do I say this? The USDA, the government, the, the guidelines that are out there mm -hmm. for us, the American Diabetes Association guidelines, et cetera, you can poke holes in all of them. Some bigger sure. holes, some smaller holes, some things that we agree, some things that we don't agree, right? But the reality is, is that this study looked at healthy eating index, the alternate healthy eating index, which is the alternate healthy eating index actually gives a positive rating to moderate alcohol consumption, where the healthy index does not. And then we have our alternate Mediterranean diet, which most people know the Mediterranean diet, right? But the alternate Mediterranean diet removes potatoes, separates fruit and nuts into two groups, eliminating the dairy group including whole grain products only in the grain group and then red and processed meats in the meat group. So mm -hmm. then you have the healthful plant-based diet index, the HPDI. And if you go Google HEI, which is the first one I mentioned, the healthy eating index, that brings you to myplate.gov. And that wow. is the plate that we all see. If you ever Google, what should my plate look like if I'm trying to lose weight? Or yeah. <laughs> what macro consumption? If you just go to Google Images and put in what should my plate look like or what should I eat and go to Images, it's going to pop up. Mm. It's the one that has the little pies, the little charts, like like little, what's that game of trivia that I'm terrible at? Trivial Pursuit. <laughs> yeah, the, the little triangles of different colors and this is what you should eat, right? And the reality is, is that the solution, the long-term solution to become that 5%, the solution is what works for you. What is sustainable? What type of foods do you like to eat? And the good news is, is across all four of these different ways of eating, the HEI, the AHEI, the AMED, the MED, and the HPDI, right? That's a mouthful. Don't go Google any of this stuff. We're going to land the plane here in a second. 
It looked at thousands and thousands and thousands of participants from the nurses' health study from 1984 to 2020. Now, it is a cohort study, so it's not a randomized controlled double-blind placebo study. Mm-hmm. It's not a meta-analysis. So it's, it's a cohort study. We know what it is. But the cool thing is, is that each index was associated with a reduced cardiovascular cancer and respiratory mortality risk. Nice. So all-cause mortality was decreased 14 to 20%. And the AHEI and the AMED, the alternate indices, were associated with reduced neurodegenerative mortality. And this was consistent across all different ethnic groups. Here's the message. We have to get off of this mindset of the diet is on, the diet is off. The weight loss is on, the weight loss is off. My fasting is on, my fasting is off. What are those lifestyle things that you're going to apply? Yeah, you know what? You know what just just struck me right now is the fact that you can start thinking about this very differently when you take away the outcome measure of weight. You stop saying like, well, how much did the weight decline over the 3 months or the 2 years or whatever it is? Which right? don't get me wrong, we want to focus on too. Yeah. Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second and tell you just an incredible story about an amazing company that we've come across recently. Um, and now they are a sponsor of our show. It's airdoctorpro.com. You can head to the website, use a promo code uh, fasting for life to receive up to $300 off. But most importantly, uh, my little guy, my two-year-old has not slept consistently through the night uh, since he was born. We have tried everything you can imagine. He is our third child. And we're just like, what is happening? So we have gone to great lengths, time, money, and effort to figure out um, how we can help him sleep. And uh, the reality is, uh, we were pretty much just resigned to the fact that this is how it's going to be until we put the Air Doctor Pro in his room. And I am not joking when I tell you the first night that we put it in his room, he slept through the night. The second night, slept through the night. Now we're up to 35 plus days that he has slept through the night. He has only woken up two times rather than two, three times a night, two times in the last 35 days and counting. And we are just so incredibly grateful. The reality is, Uh, We had a feeling that it was something that we were missing. And the indoor air air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air these days. In some cases, up to 100 times more. We spend 90% of our time indoors. We take 20,000 breaths a day. So what's the solution? An air purifier, a cut above the rest. I'm not going to lie. We have tried others. We've tried other HEPA filters. We've tried other air filters. We have spent the money and they have not done the results that air doctor did in literally the first day that we put it in his room they filter out 99.99 percent of dangerous contaminants that includes pollutants such as allergens pollen pet dander dust mite mold spores and even bacteria and viruses so i don't know what it was that was keeping them up but it is now gone so air doctor comes with a 30-day breathe easy money back guarantee so if you don't love it send it back for a refund minus shipping Head to airdoctorpro.com, use promo code fasting for life to receive up to $300 off air purifiers, an exclusive listener um, offer for you as well. You'll receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. That's exclusive to you, the podcast listener, now hearing this in real time. Lock this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code fasting for life. You guys know that we are very particular with who we partner with. And if it wasn't for this incredible company and this, the incredible results that we've seen, I would not be encouraging you to head to the website and take advantage of the Fasting for Life promo code. So 
If you support our sponsors, you are ultimately supporting us. We are grateful for you listening in. And now back to today's episode. I yeah. know, but it, it's it's two separate questions. It's almost like, what kind of exercise should I do? Well, what what's the intention behind the exercise? Or am I training for a certain event? Do I want to be physically able to do something else, or am I just looking for a little additional, you know, caloric burn? Like, well, then just do whatever. Or maybe we should be building some lean muscle, so as you yes, age, you absolutely. don't end up with fragile bones and not being able to pick up your grandkids. Yeah, it's Either a great question. Way, like, the question yeah, behind I, the question. <laughs> I mean, I, I love anything that brings the whole body into it. And I love right. something with a functional movement and something I can really enjoy. I want to put my endorphins, my dopamine, my enjoyment of my leisure time, along with, you know, health, muscle building, optimization and, and things like that. Like, like recently, I, I love rock climbing, you know, and that's something I, I never did. I never would have even considered when I Imagine was... Imagine 70 you know, pounds heavier. Oh your wrist, gosh, your wrist would have been to. like, no, we're not doing that today. I don't want to. Plus, you know, you know what my only thought would have been? How many calories am I burning right now? What an awful, what an awful thought. Well, you're like trying to learn something, you know, fun and natural. Like we're naturally built to to climb things. So it's just really cool. Like, like put your body in into work, into action. But so getting back to it here, off off of the tangent, what I what I got here was if you're not thinking about how many, how many pounds did I lose over that given period of time, what I just saw was four, four different eating plans, arrangements, macronutrient profiles. These are four different plates here. They all led to decreased risk and all-cause mortality. Guess what? Guess what wasn't on most of those plates most of the time? Like a bunch of food that was going to keep my insulin and my blood sugar high more of the time artificially. And just the fact that there was there was intention and consistency Intention and consistency. Yeah. Boom. Over time, right? <laughs> That's amazing though. That means I could I could use the plan that that works for me, that works for my family, that I enjoy, that I look forward to, and I can put that in. But I that only works mentally in the equation if I'm if I'm not just going like how many pounds at the at the end of it because I'm just I'm just dialing in for that. But that's a key piece for that long term confidence right there. I love that. Yeah, and it it also speaks to me in a different way. Is like if you're looking for guidance on fasting, mm -hmm. then go grab our blueprint, the blueprint to fasting for fat loss. It's in the show sure. notes. It talks about the why behind the weight loss. Why does it matter? And it gives mm -hmm. you some idea on how to structure your fast. But as a lot of people do in the early stages or as they go on or off their diet, aka their fasting, and have not turned it into a sustainable lifestyle yet, then it's it's the good and bad food list. It's the, I'm going to cut out all alcohol, all carbs. I'm going to just yep. become a hermit for six months. Okay, <laughs> great. What happens after those six months? What happens when the yeah. momentum wears off, right? So if you're looking for guidance, go grab the blueprint. If you want to accelerate your results, then come join the challenge, right? Like just, yes. just do it. Jump in, come yes. join us. The sustainability piece is so interesting because I've been doing this for a long time now, right? Multiple mm. years. And the initial weight loss was simpler than I expected. It went faster than I expected. Hmm. The difficulty has been the maintaining of it yeah. and adapting it into a lifestyle. Sure. Tommy, the second half of today's conversation is going to be around this study on the effect of long-term caloric restriction on DNA methylation measures of biological aging in healthy adults from the calorie trial. Wow. All right, sir. 20 minutes. Go ahead. It's all yours. <laughs> So, you know, the, the cool thing here is, well, like where to start, but so DNA methylation is basically like we have 
we have accumulated DNA or accumulated methylated DNA over time. So it's kind of a biomarker for aging is where to kind of start with that. And, you know, so what we know about some of the long-term observational studies, especially in, in the animal Asian studies part of the world, well, oh, you okay. have animal studies too, but you also have observations in some of the, like, what were they called? Centigenarians or like, like some yeah. hundred years, centenarians year plus centenarians. Thank you. Yeah. So what, what we know is that typically lower caloric intake means potentially longer lifespan and sometimes increased health during longer lifespan. So, but then we start to go, okay, well, what, what does that mean? How do we put it into action? Is there something actionable? You know, there, a lot of us are on caloric restriction lifestyles or diets for a long period of time, but it's not because we're looking to extend the life. It's because we're, we're trying to optimize health or trying to get the weight off short term. Trying to lose weight. Right? Let's just be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We just have not thinking about like, my 80s right now. I'm just trying to fit into that suit again. <laughs> right. I just don't want to be, you know, embarrassed at the beach. I want to like show right. up to the Christmas party, right? But when we when we start looking at this stuff, going from animals into humans, this was a cool study because th- this is one of the first ones that started rigorously looking at humans um, using a few different measurements. So there's there's a few different companies out there that have developed like serious, rigorous, like bioaging and bio pacing, so biological age pacing measurements. And mm-hmm. so as we as as they kind of you know start to put humans into trials like this over this this particular one was over a two year period and then looking at what what are those biological age markers doing during a two year period of like let's say in, in this study it was 25% caloric restriction. So if you had a maintenance calorie need of 2000 calories per day, then this would be doing 1500 calories instead and not being really overweight or very overweight and and like no the, the average person was not looking to lose any weight during this study so putting just kind of healthy individuals and then just dropping the calories by 25% and then seeing seeing what it does to their their pacing of their biological age so kind of a cool And it study. was cool cuz we know that calorie restriction right that 25% is the most reliable method of extending lifespan in animals mm-hmm. so this is the first one to your point is, can it affect the rate of aging in humans, right? So it was like, well, that's kind of a cool story, like cool potential outcome, right? So the the different tests you had mentioned, and we won't go into all of the details, right? Because it's, it's newer technology, right? Yeah. So there's a couple of cool takeaways though. The clocks were developed to predict mortality risk based on biological age, right? So mm-hmm. chronologically, if you're a 60-year-old person and your biological age of 48, then your mortality risk is similar to that of a 48-year-old rather than a 60-year-old, yep. right? And the default age, one of the other tests they are using, the default rate of aging is one year per calendar year. The pace of aging less than one means someone is biologically aging slower than the normal rate. Well, why does this matter? I know for me, as someone who wants to change the generational health of, and path of my family, I don't want to end up having dementia as three of my four grandparents did. Or my dad, who was, thank God, no longer a severe diabetic on 17 medications, multiple forms of insulin, three or four blood pressure medications, just incredibly chemically (laughs) laden with Hmm. the dependency, but not getting healthier, literally like watching him fall asleep at the dinner table, not being able to like pick up his grandkids, right? So the, the point here is it's, as we started the conversation today, it's not about the scale, it's about the lifestyle and the health and the longevity, but it's hard to see that when we're always focused on the diet, right? So it's interesting because this caloric restriction reduced the biological aging 
by two to three percent in one of the biological test markers, yeah. one of those biological clocks that we mentioned, and it didn't in the others. But that's not really the takeaway I want to focus on. The takeaway is we had a question come in from one of the listeners about long-term caloric restriction and how it causes your body to downregulate and get used to that restriction. Hmm. But being in a chronically caloric restricted state long-term can have some 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 non-sustainable long-term effects that we want to potentially avoid. And the question came in about optimal. He was asking about what is the optimal level? And it's interesting because optimal can be subjective to the individual, right? Yeah. And some people will say, well, I've, I've been restricting calories forever, but I can't understand why the scale doesn't move or I can't get the weight off. That's where insulin and hunger hormones and that resistance, that weight loss resistance piece comes into play. So long-term, right, caloric restriction, 25% reduction. The study didn't show that most of the people actually got to 25%. Ooh, they got to 12. Uh-oh. 12%. <laughs> 12% reduction in calories. So that is 180 calories, approximately about two tablespoons of peanut butter. Oh, man. So That's you're telling me. Margin for error right there. That my two tablespoons of peanut butter a day, let's just call it two tablespoons of peanut butter, could be completely messing up my results? Yeah. Well, thank God for fasting, right? Right. It, that's that's tough to check the box. Like, did I win today? Oh, man. And I'm not really sure if I can check the box or there's there's such a, a slim room for, for any error. I mean, that's that, that's not exactly setting myself up for success, you know? So the, the cool thing was that 2 to 3% that they found in one of those metrics was associated with a decreased mortality risk. So that, that that's, that's cool. Yeah. I, I like 10 to 15% like mortality yeah. risk reduction. Yeah. Huge. And, and, yeah. And, and so it started making me think about like, okay, so when we talk about optimal, we talk about, you know, this question that we got in, how does, how does this apply? Because a lot of times if we're on a fasting journey and I, I believe he said he had, he had lost like about 80 pounds, 80 pounds. I think already, you know, which is a, your, your body is going to be at a completely different state. Metabolically yeah. speaking, you lost Absolutely. 80 pounds. Congratulations. Congratulations. Fasting, Absolutely. by the way, consistently yes. over three years. And then most recently, over the last one and a half years, being very intentional with his eating windows. Round of applause. You know, right? Like that's 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 awesome. Incredible work. So so it, it's really cool. So, you know, when we, we think about you know, information that comes out like this and we go, okay, how do we apply it? What what is optimal? Does this does this twenty five percent reduction in, in calories actually like apply? Well, is guess it what? sustainable? What should I put on my plate? Ooh. Right. All the stuff yeah. we're talking about today. When I when I apply fasting consistently, especially for fat loss, it tends to naturally put me in a caloric deficit, but it does so in a really cool way that actually allows insulin to come down versus if I'm calculating out 1500 calories a day, but I'm putting it at three, four, five different eating opportunities. Like we talked about the CGMs. Three meals plus I, snacks. I, yeah, oh, so I'm always I, hangry I, and hungry. Great. I, yeah. And I can see the spikes all day long too. I can see exactly what's happening. My spike never and, comes down. If you guys aren't familiar with what we mean, okay. we're talking about the blood sugar spike seen on yes. graph. It yes. climbs the mountain and then it stays at the top of the mountain. Yeah. It doesn't come back down to a normal range like it should. You start, you start seeing it. It doesn't, it doesn't leave my, my mental map. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think about it throughout the day and, and whenever I make those eating decisions, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool. But so when we're talking about optimal here, you know, it, it sounds like he's, he's consistent with the fasting. And so as, as he starts to bring in those calories, because, you know, going from 1500 up to probably 
2200, 2400, 2500, you know, uh, like something more uh, maintenance level, you know, for him. It's also that like, what is my feedback? Am I getting it from the scale? What about body composition? So when you, you talk optimal, is it is it really a weight range? Because um, there's, there's it a feeling. Been, sure. There's definitely been times where you know, I took in the, the same amount of calories, but in a different way, like structured throughout the day, you know, one or two like hour window versus like two or three different meals. I feel very different. The scale does something very different too. And like you, you can add those up over time and those, those start to change body composition too. So, so defining optimal for yourself, I think is, is one of the things that you need to do or go back to that intention piece of it. What, what am I trying to define here? What's optimal for me? Because if I have, if I'm not really sure where I'm aiming, then I, I don't know how to tell if I'm moving in the right direction. And that, that, that like, that, that's part of what we address in the challenge too, is, is kind of like defining what I'm looking for here so that I know how to judge and how to gain confidence as I kind of move forward in the process. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the interesting thing with the calorie trial, when it comes to caloric restriction, regardless of the two to 3%, decrease in biological aging, which is cool. New technology, probably still figuring it out, right? 10 to 15% decrease, all cause mortality. Yes. I don't want to end up like my family or I don't want to end up, you know, sick and suffering. I want a good quality of life. I want to end up mm -hmm. like the centenarian studies, right? If we look at Japan, yes. the quality of life as they age increases, right? In that centenarian group where they've got thousands and thousands and thousands of folks, right? So the calorie study in itself, had some incredible outcomes despite not achieving the 25% restriction, right? So we talked yeah. about that, that 11% and, and it was that 180 calories of those two tablespoons of peanut butter. So decreased cholesterol, decreased systolic and diastolic blood pressure, decreased inflammation, decreased chance of metabolic syndrome, mm. the score of the metabolic syndrome score, increased insulin sensitivity, in the calorie study, they lost, and we've done a, an episode on this in, in itself, seven and a half kilograms, decreased yeah. waist circumference, and preferential loss of visceral adipose tissue, which is something yes. that I've been working on recently with the, the CGM and all that, right? So if we're going to begin with the end in mind, but you're always focused on a target, a result-based goal, and you don't have the smaller action-based goals to get you there, the sustainability, the repeatability, the trial and error, though what's mm -hmm. optimal? Am I at my maintenance? Well, should I increase my calories now? And should yeah. I even be tracking? Do I have to track? What do I put in my eating window? How do I make fasting work? Because I just know I feel better when I fast, Right. but I don't know, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what I'm doing, right? Don't go yeah, back don't to the indexes that we started this conversation with. Don't do it, don't do it. Right. Yeah, that's the wrong direction. <laughs> no, we need to make this work for you. We want to invite you to come in and join us on this upcoming challenge, Tommy. Yes, yes. I love a good challenge. Like it tomorrow. helps me just shake things up a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about tomorrow too. It literally helps me just shake things up, get a little bit outside of my comfort zone and go, okay, let me try something new, get a new result and then see how that responds and then keep building the pieces from there because it's it's all these small little decisions. We think we can like map out just this one plan and I know exactly what I'm gonna do every single time, just rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. That's what I was always looking for. Well, it turns out it's just a lot of small decisions that I, I keep taking one step forward and then the next one, but it actually like accelerates as I get confidence with the with the previous step. So it's, it's a really cool process. I just 
invite you to come in, yes. join with us and be part of the process because it is, it is really cool and we are, we are so excited about it too. You said accelerate the process, right? So if you want to accelerate your results and doesn't matter if you're a beginner, if you're experienced, if you've done longer, more fast than we have, you've been fasting, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. The lifestyle challenge is designed to accelerate that experience, to get the scale moving, to break through that plateau, to give you the confidence. We talk science, we talk application. We talk about a lot of different things about the why and how we're going to build this sustainable lifestyle and how we're going to close that gap from this big, hairy, audacious goal of losing this weight and keeping it off and becoming part of the 5%. The reality yeah. is, Tommy, if you and I can do it, anyone can do it, right? Yeah. Metabolically broken, stress to the gills, kids, family, you name it, right? We did it. It worked for us. Science is <laughs> tried and true. And we want to encourage you to come along with us on this journey, Tommy. So head to the show notes. Click the link for the challenge that begins tomorrow. It is not too late. Don't worry. We've got you. Step outside of your comfort zone. Like Tommy said, we are excited to see you on the inside. If you're looking for the NutriSense link, you can head to the show notes as well. Tommy, as always, thank you for the conversation, sir. And we'll talk next week. Thank you. Bye. So you've heard today's episode and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day -day life. While you're there, download your free Fast Start Guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life.